All right. Well, welcome to the Vanica Custom Advi- Customer Advisory Board podcast. So I'm um, very excited to do this today. Uh, my name is B.D. Snow. I'm uh, going to be hosting it with Shelly D'Antonio. And then we have here our client, Scott Wolf from Briggs up in the greater Boston area, I guess, at this point. Yes, absolutely. Happy um, to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you so much, first of all, for being on our customer advisory board and, you know, all the awesome feedback and just even being here amidst all the craziness that's going on It's been on a pleasure. Right this would be the best part of it all. <laughs> yeah, he's got daughters with international phone troubles today mm-hmm. and all kinds of things happening. So thanks Lots again. Lots of different for, things. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. For chatting Looking with us. forward to it. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. If you'd like to get started with this, it's I'd be really curious to you know kind of help share your story, like how you got into this industry, um, like how did you end up in the world of HOAs to begin with? Like, what we'll we'll brings? Oh, as a small child, I always thought I wanted to be in this <laughs> business. So you know, it was it was my life dream mm-hmm. to end up here. Uh, no, absolutely not. Grew up in Portland, Maine. Um, decided to go to school at Northeastern down in Boston. Studied business. While there, I worked for a small real estate firm. I also worked for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, uh, learning customer service. I walked into an office one day, and after graduation, was asked, well, well, now that you've graduated, what do you want to do? They were a property management firm, so I said, well, property management. Maybe I'll get a job offer. Instead, they offered me to buy their company, (laughs) Um, and the rest is history. We bought the company and literally had four condo associations at the time, about 200 apartment units. There were three employees, and now we're up around 15,000 condominium units, 500 apartment units, and over 100 employees. Wow. So it really just, (laughs) it just happened. It was not a chosen profession. It was just, it chose me. You just walked into it. No, I just walked into it. You said you started in real estate. Like, that was something that happened early, and I think that that's a pretty common story for a lot of us. I Mm -hmm. started in real estate, too. What do you think you learned in real estate that kind of helped you when you jumped into the world of association management? Or do you see a link there at all? That's an interesting question because I jumped into real estate doing rentals and sales. So I was in a different aspect of it. Um, When I was asked to purchase the company, I thought I was an entrepreneurial studies major. This sounds like fun. Let's do this. I didn't even know what a condominium or HOA was. <laughs> and the gentleman that um, it was a husband and wife team, they were going to basically teach me about the industry. Unfortunately, uh, very tragically, the husband passed away two months into the purchase. And I had to learn just from the basics, train myself and teach myself. I'll never forget the like couple days later, I had my first board meeting at an association. They met in the common hallway. You had to bring your own chair and just sit there. And I was petrified. <laughs> and we got through it. And to this day, we still have two of those four clients. So they've stayed with us the entire time. But I literally walked in with no knowledge. And now I'm knee deep in it. Yeah. So my background did not help me. <laughs> Actually, the background that helped me was the hotel business. Because yes. I think that learning from what at the time was one of the premier hotel chains, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, gave me the background in understanding a service. It mm-hmm. really taught me how to service a client, the needs, and really just provide top quality. And that's kind of what I thought I brought to the table more than just the management side of it. Right. What? How do you instill that priority behind, that importance behind customer service and like the way that you're approaching your clients with your team? We try to hire from a customer service background and less of a management background. So we look for people that have that type of a history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just reminding them. I mean, it's a simple mantra of 
return calls, return emails within a 24 to 48 hour period. Just respond to people and realize you're not going to have the answer they want to hear every time, but deliver the answer. Because the worst thing you can do is not respond or not follow up. That's the basics. That's what people want. They want to be communicated with. They want to be responded to. The rest you can get through. Is Even if it's calling and saying, listen, got your email, don't have the answer. Let me investigate it. Let me get back to you next Tuesday. Right. Put it on your calendar. Call them on Tuesday. And even then you can say, I still don't have your answer, but and keep it. But they just want to hear back that you are working on it. Just keeping those communication totally. channels open. Correct. You know, and that that's probably what the hotel taught me the most. And I think that kind of is a little bit of a differentiator in trying to train and what we focus on is really just follow up and do the best you can. Yeah, that, that level of customer service is definitely one that uh, seems to be waning, I guess, you know, as you look around the industry. like It's the, import. It's the environment we live in right now, so yeah. for sure. So you like to hire um, folks with a good customer service background. Are there certain specific industries or prior vocations that you think make a good community manager or a good person for the association management business? Right now, it's having a pulse. Okay. Really, it's a good thing because it's hard to find people. But no, we're looking restaurants, hotels, mm -hmm. just general service. I mean, if they have experience in management, that's a bonus. Mm -hmm. um, but you really want to train them the way you want them for your company. So having just that service background, again, hotels just is kind of where I came from. So we pull from there. Restaurants, mm -hmm. I'll be at dinner if the server, if the server is wonderful. Well, hey, if you're ever looking for a change of, <laughs> a change of occupation, let us know. Um, so it's just really looking at people that have customer support in mind that makes sense and then just real quickly because you mentioned a pulse is important and i know that that's so mm -hmm. hard right now people are having a hard time hiring everywhere in mm -hmm. any kind of industry do you feel like that is related to the whole covid labor crisis or do you think that just community association management's a, a, a hard industry to mm -hmm. to recruit people into that's a great question i think it was always a problem it's always been a problem it's a hard job you know Come join, become a property manager, get yelled at, work long hours, work nights and weekends, and get paid okay. It's really not an incentive to find somebody. Um, but I think that it's with COVID has just made it worse. And it's across the board. It doesn't matter if it's a property manager, an accounting person, a client service person, maintenance. It's just really difficult to find good quality people. Um, so what we've ramped up is kind of just our employee recognition and really making sure that they're getting supported and getting we understand what you're doing and support you and try to help as much as you can and give them the proper tools well and to that point i'd be curious to hear like what types of creative ways you all have found over the last couple of years to build that type of employee interaction with everyone you know working virtually in this virtual posture we're in that is a great question and that's a work in progress it's hard <laughs> i mean we went remote day one and we're still remote. Mm -hmm. And the hardest part we have now is our staff wants to be remote. They, yeah. Nobody wants to be back in the office. So us, like everybody else, are trying to navigate what is this new work thing. And it's not even new anymore. It is what it is now. So we're trying to work on getting people together more, trying to mm -hmm. set up a, more social events and team building events than just come to an office and work. Mm -hmm. Because the answer is, well, why am I going to drive an hour in, an hour home, and just work? I can do that from home, and I'm more productive. Right. And I can't argue it. So we've been, we were pro-remote before COVID hit. So we kind of had, I was always a big supporter of being able to do it. 
Now it's just trying to work out the kinks of what's right, what's wrong. Yeah. What are some of those things that you, like what makes working remotely work? Like what are some tools that you're using or different mm. like cultures that you have in place that just make it, um, make it work to work from home? Simple answer is technology. It's having the right tools. It's literally, we had a month of snow in February one year, about four or five years ago, where you couldn't get to work. Mm -hmm. Everything was bogged down. Our phone systems, you couldn't get the client services answering the phones. We set up a remote protocol for that. Mm -hmm. So when we were 100% ready, when COVID hit, we instituted what we called our snow protocol into our COVID protocol. Everybody brought their phones home. Everybody had laptops. Everybody had the technology to be able to do it. We were up and running the next morning. Awesome. We instituted it and then boom, next day everybody was fine. And it has not changed. We, our clients had no idea that we're still remote or that we went remote. Everybody was still responding and getting to things. So the key to it is technology. We had Zoom probably for four years before COVID hit. I don't think a single client would ever do it. We, we couldn't convince them to do it. They wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. We used it internally between offices. COVID hit, and we were already up and running. We had Zoom, and mm -hmm. it was like, you can look at, there's a lot of downside to COVID, but there is some upside. To our industry, Zoom has been an upside because it now takes those nighttime meetings. You still have them, but you shut your computer off in your home. Mm -hmm. You're with your family right then and there. And the meetings are more efficient. They're definitely well run because you can kind of control the environment better. And the managers love it. So it's kind of a, we're working towards less, bless you, less in-person <laughs> meetings and more Zoom meetings. And I, and I see that as a trend within the industry with a lot of our um, competitors. So you think that's going to stick then for most of your boards, just continue doing it over Zoom? A lot it's going to stick. A lot, I mean, you, there is, you can't still get away from that personal meeting where you're sit, like sitting here now. You sure. know, we could do this on Zoom. It wouldn't be the same. Right. So it's you still have to have that. A lot of people are just saying, oh, maybe we'll do one in-person meeting a year or just do it when needed. It's finding the rhythm for each individual association or HOA to figure out what's the best way for us mm -hmm. you know and, and it's regional as well we manage in three different states and the differences between some are dramatic it's like no we meet in person and it's consistent along that for that region whereas others are like we don't meet we don't want you know they're perfectly fine with it so it'll stick mm -hmm. it's sticking um so you mentioned that you are in three different states right yes um are you finding that you have different legal requirements in different states and are you having a lot of challenges with the different difference in the different marketplaces due to those different? Um, there are definitely different challenges and different laws. We've been very good at getting ahead of it. We mm -hmm. knew we were going uh, into New Hampshire. We had a recent acquisition. Um, now we're up to 45 buildings in New Hampshire. We already hired, well, set up a meeting with an attorney for New Hampshire to meet with all the staff, go over the differences, mm -hmm. go through what we need to know. We did the same with the CPA. And beyond that, it's does not, yes, there are definitely regulatory differences. However, it's you just need to make sure you educate yourself in the market you're in. Mm -hmm. okay. So. So you mentioned that you just acquired a company in New Hampshire, and congratulations, by the way. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks again for being here amidst uh, all that. No worries. On back happy home. to we be here. We definitely appreciate it. <laughs> when my but, staff uh, sees me doing this during this time, they're sure, sure going to be happy, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the team for yeah. sure. So um, I, I'm curious, like, at what point did you think, like, this is 
a good next step for me acquiring a company. All the challenges of owning a company and like doing all the things you're doing, like, hey, let's, let's go buy another one. Yeah, that's a good question. It started actually at a pool in Vegas. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, that's yeah. a very good story starts. We were out there. Yeah, this, this, could, go, this could go sideways quick. <laughs> um, I was at a CAI national event with a bunch of my staff and several of our, um, I, I hate to say competitors, but friendly competitors. We're there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are all good with each other in open conversation. And a good friend of mine um, Nick Boyd, who owned Barrington Management, and I were talking, and we were joking, and he was a few years older. I'm like, well, when are you going to sell to me? He's like, well, geez, why don't we merge? And this is at the time when Associa was starting to, like, nip at the different markets, and everybody thought, oh, they'll never come to New England. There's just not enough there for it. And it's like, it'll happen. And the two of us talked. We were similar-sized companies, and we just went back and forth. It was like, why don't we put the two together? and have some fun. We'll be bigger, you know, then mm-hmm. we can kind of be more stable when the national companies come into the market and just kind of play in a different realm. So we merged and that was a two year event, um, put the two together, formed, I was Greater Boston Properties, he was Barrington. We debated names for, naming a company is the worst thing in the world. That was the most <laughs> difficult. Naming That's a child is, is complicated as well, but the business name was just, what fits this and that. Um, and we came up with Briggs, which was totally different from his and from ours. I was excited to get away from our name, Greater Boston Properties, because we were managing outside the city. We were already in the suburbs, but the name was very limiting. Mm-hmm. Every oh, well, you're just Boston. It's like, no, sure. we're actually in your neighborhood. So the name change for me was exciting. The name Briggs came from our core values after months of trying to come up with something. It's just balance, respect, innovation, growth and sustainability. So it works. We had, there was a purpose behind the name. And after two years, Nick retired and I um, acquired, began the process of acquiring his shares of the company. Um, And it was fun. It was horrible and fun at the same time. (laughs) Um, You know, we went into it saying this will be fun. And if you ask the key staff that were involved, they would all say, it was it was difficult. It was mm-hmm. hard. It's the hardest part is taking two cultures and trying to put them together. Mm-hmm. And as much as Nick and I are like, oh, we're so alike. We're this is like it'd be so easy because you and I are just the same. We had similarities, but we did not really take into consideration the differences of our staffs together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that occurred soon after that. I found another small um, company that wanted to be acquired in Boston and move forward with that. That had its own complications, just different issues here and there that took about a year to resolve. Um, And then about two years ago, we did a geographic one. And to me, I never wanted to really be into acquiring businesses. And this is is how we're gonna grow and everything else. Mm -hmm. When we did the merger, to me, it was the next step. It was something different. It was something, we, you know, we had grown, I developed it. We had a name and a reputation, but it was a new phase to try. Mm-hmm. Um, so the third one was definitely a bigger company, more notable in a different region. So we basically created a geographic area to kind of work within, mm-hmm. and it's gone well. Again, it's acquisitions to anybody that asks, it's not easy. It's definitely, again, it's culture and putting people together. The buildings are somewhat the easy part. Um, so that worked, and now we ended up in New Hampshire. It's just, <laughs> it's just been kind of happening that now 
people know that we're looking to acquire, we're looking to grow. There is no, I want to be the biggest in the market. There is no ego involved of, wow, I have more units than you have. It's just more building the business and making it steady that Mm -hmm. as the larger companies come in, we can be competitive Mm price-wise. You know, and it was right. kind of the next frontier for me. Now it's kind of looking at going, all right, what what do we do now with this? And that just goes into developing the business differently mm-hmm. and better. Mm-hmm. So that's how we ended up in the acquisition and um, merger phase. <laughs> and it's been a long five years, I would have to say. But it's been, I, would, I don't regret a minute of it. Well, you still got some hair left? Mm-hmm. Some, some a little dark bit. ones. I, I'm that. jealous of yours here. You know, it's like I. It's just. It's uh, yeah. I def- definitely have some left. It's kept me and it gets me out running every day, so mm-hmm. I can kind of just. That's my stress relief. I'll go run or get outdoors. Then you have to. Speaking of that, did I hear you say that you've run upwards of ten marathons yesterday? No, upwards of eighteen. Upwards of eighteen. With nineteen wow. scheduled in November, October. Marine Corps marathon this coming October. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. It's thank you. It's kind of my go-to stress relief. What got you <laughs> into running? Oh, this is a funny one. Um, I didn't run in high school. I didn't. I wasn't through college. I didn't do. My, I, I was active, but I was never an athlete. I didn't have my go-to sports. Friend of mine emailed us. Oh, I think I was 29 at the time, and said, "Hey, I'm running the Chicago Marathon. Who wants? Who's in?" And I'm thinking, I just need to get in shape. I'm like, I'm in. How hard could it be? So I just mm-hmm. said, fine, I'm in, and signed up for it. I went out that day to run three miles. I ran a half a mile and walked for two and a half and <laughs> kind of then slowly worked my way through. But since then, I've kind of done pretty much almost one a year over that time period. Do you have to qualify for each of those marathons, or is it just certain? No, no it's just Boston's a qualifier, but mm-hmm. I've always raised money and gotcha. done it. I haven't qualified cool. for Boston. I'm a social runner, not a speedy runner, so <laughs> couldn't qualify. <laughs> well, props to you. But it's all good. Yeah. So thank you. That's impressive. <laughs> Sounds like you're very much a jump both feet first just to get into the industry, to buy a company right away, well and said. then, you know, get an email and jump into a marathon. There's not a lot of thought <laughs> in, my, in my, yeah, it's gut reaction and kind of just, oh, this sounds like a good idea. Let's try it and see what happens. Most of the time it works. Sometimes it goes mm-hmm. very sideways. And no, I'm not giving a story of a sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to get ahead of you on that sure, one? Sure, okay, sure. All right. well, all see, right. that seemed like a good segue. Yeah, it was there, a good Scott. one, but no. Yeah. All right, well, fair enough. I am curious, though, like having gone through a number of these mergers, acquisitions, mm. have you found any techniques to address that cultural assimilation challenge that you described? Or like maybe things that haven't worked that you tried that might be good advice for other folks to maybe mm-hmm. not try that thing, you know, like. You know, it's hard because every culture is totally different in each company, so it's really difficult to kind of pull people in. Um, you still get, even five years later, oh, well, we used to do it this way. It's like, well, we need to be McDonald's. We mm-hmm. need to have a like franchise setup where everybody's doing the same thing, and it's hard. And mm-hmm. it, so my advice would be to, the one thing that I've discovered is interview the people you're getting. Mm-hmm. Don't just automatically assume this is going to be the right fit. Um, and be really understanding. You're, you're walking into their house. You're mm-hmm. walking into what mm-hmm. th- is their safety zone, and you're making them uncomfortable. And the reassurances of you've got a job and all this stuff, they're not going to listen. They have, they have no reason to trust or believe you. So you really just need to be 
aware of that human element. You need to be aware that you're stepping into their thing. You're, mm -hmm. You've pulled them to you. They, they didn't interview you. They didn't choose you. Same with the clients. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like mm -hmm. an arranged marriage. The clients don't know. So you're earning their trust. You're earning their respect. And if there's concern over the management company you're buying or an employee that they have, that reflects on their choice of you as the new owner. So right. it, th there are definitely some challenges in the human aspect of things. From a software perspective, I think we've got a really great arsenal of softwares that really make us shine. So coming in and being able to say, okay, the software part, well, gee, we just changed two years ago. Now we have to go to yours. Well, we're going to show you what we got. And I think mm -hmm. you're going to be very, very happy. And we've been extremely successful on all occasions in doing that. So, but it's a human element for anybody that's doing this. Don't be cocky. Don't think, oh, they're going to love us just because your staff loves you now. Mm -hmm. You need to earn that trust. You mm -hmm. need to earn that respect. And you really just have to listen. You know, it's really just, hey, what can we do to help? What do you need? And that's where, like, this most recent one, I just have some memorable conversations with a few of the people where it's, we're so happy because you're doing this, this, and this. And, you know, somebody asked if I could get Post-it notes. I'm like, the next day I brought, the, brought a box of Post-it notes. It's just the simple little yeah. things, but it's mm -hmm. just those things help. Just to know that, you're, that you yeah, hear you're them, you're listening. listening. and responding. Yeah. And it's easy to get lost in the mix. It's easy to forget about the boots on the ground people. And right. that's where mm -hmm. you really have to focus on those elements to make sure you're, you're making them comfortable because you need them. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially now, it's you need you don't want to lose a good person because you did something that didn't acknowledge them or didn't give them the recognition that you care. Totally. Right. So, yeah, right. that's a great approach. And obviously, it's re been reflected in the success that you guys have had. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. You have a great team of folks, and uh, that's reflected in. Very proud of my team. Reflected in that. Very. I don't run this guy. The company runs with these people. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, our latest pitch, which business development when we're sitting in front of a new client I'm like the most important people to me are my employees you're second you're a close mm -hmm. second but you as the client are not the most important person because frankly especially in today's day and age without the staff we don't have a client right so it's you got to look at it from who's more important and it's definitely the employee and are your boards pretty receptive to that? Do they appreciate that kind of Once I get to the you? explanation of it all, mm -hmm. they're fine. When they initially hear it, you can like. see the deer in the headlights. Like, <laughs> I'm not the most important next, thing in your life. Yeah, Scott. it's like, next, I want to hear from, okay, let's move on to the next management company interview. <laughs> right. You know, but once you really explain it, I mean, they're not second by any means. They mm -hmm. definitely are. Without them, we don't have a business. But it's a, it's a very, we present a partnership. It mm -hmm. is a partnership mm -hmm. with each client. We're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing us, which is unique to some of the clients. And we've vetted out clients before mm -hmm. actually moving forward. We've said, I don't think we're the right fit for you because you don't want to get in a situation where you onboard them and it's just not a comfortable situation. So yeah, they are. The, the yeah. initial comment, even the first time I did it, I didn't even know I was going to say it. It just kind of happened. Um, I look over at my business development person, Tim, who I've, who's been with me for years and knows me inside and out. He's like, <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, and I kind of just, once I was able to finish my sentence, it, it kind of made sense. Mm -hmm. But it's, you need your staff. You need yeah. the staff big time. So it's all yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. So. Well, it, did you start 
like when you first like, hey, we're you know buying a business now, we're gonna do this management company thing. Did you start that with that perspective of, hey, I'm really gonna vet my clients out, or at what point did you? No, I'd be curious to know. God, no. When, yeah. when did you realize <laughs> yeah. that you could break up with your clients? <laughs> oh, it had to have been like ten years ago. So I'd already been in it for twenty years at that point, or something. Mm-hmm. It took. I mean, it's. It is very difficult, and even the, with the people I've acquired, they're shocked by the fact mm-hmm. that we will fire clients. But it's not. It's we, we don't fire them. We part ways. We. Mm-hmm. It's a mutual kind of. It's not working for both sides a lot of the times. Um, it's not an easy decision. It's frankly a business decision. And we base it on a lot of different factors. We look at the overall scope. You may get a manager saying, oh, this client needs to go. We just bought, And you just find out it's just not the right manager for that mm-hmm. client. So you have to really look at it. Um, it's just you have to treat it as a business. And in a lot of ways, people just look at it as it's a client. We need to take, it, take the income. It's like it mm-hmm. doesn't mean economic sense. So. Are there particular red flags that you look at or that you see in a client that you that you find that just let you know that this is a client you need to part ways with? Or maybe even mm-hmm. just like as you're per- going through that prospecting mm-hmm. phase, like, hey, this is a red flag. Like, mm-hmm. we might not be a good fit for each for other. Because as right. you said, this is a relationship, right. right? And that we now with the interview process, we really do vet a, a lot there. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of okay when – we get a 25-page RFP from an association that's 20 units, and they've got all these questions and all the, and we want to meet monthly, and we want to do that. It's, they're mm-hmm. not the right client for us. It, right. It's just that's not the right fit. Um, when we're vetting something and looking at the, we look at the portfolio at the end of every year, um, and we kind of look at the all aspects. We're looking at what they're paying. We look at the amount of time they consume. We're looking at the call volume that's coming in. We're looking at all different types of um, data points and kind of really just, and talking to the manager, talking mm-hmm. to um, client services, the people that speak to them. Well, yeah, the treasurer calls the accounting department every week. They want to do this. They want to do that. And just putting it all together. And then we make the tough decision of mm-hmm. what we're going to do mm-hmm. because it's unfortunately you can't find good staff right now. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you're maximizing the clients with the man, with the actual staff. And we've been totally. fortunate that we've been able to hire through co- I mean through COVID we've probably hired I'd say at least a dozen new managers, which wow. is impressive. really really good. Yeah. Um and I'm thankful for it, but we've also had managers say I'm out of the industry and sure. they leave. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame them. It, it's it's a tough industry to be in. You have to be able to multitask. You have to be mm-hmm. able to Take abuse. You gotta have thick skin. <laughs> you gotta have thick skin. It's like, yeah. So, but now there's no set formula. I mean, we're working internally on better data ma- matrices to track, to really mm-hmm. look at mm-hmm. through our technology to really make a better decision. And sometimes it just comes down to a gut decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, our biggest, my biggest turning point in that was we let go of a client that was over 400 units, mm-hmm. our largest client, our largest fee at that time. And the staff thought I was losing my mind. Yeah. It was like, but it wasn't the right fit. There were ethical questions involved. Mm -hmm. We were being asked to do things that just didn't sit right with me um, or the staff. And we did it. And the positive influence it had on the company and the staff Mm -hmm. internally was just, it was a huge win. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, it was the best decision we could have made. And then from there, it's like, 
if I can do that, I can look at others. Right. So, and that's kind of what we did. So it's pretty empowering to just go ahead yeah. and break the break the chain on that one. The the I think the industry is more. We wait until they fire us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I just don't think that's fair. You know, I get in. Don't get me wrong. That was my philosophy when I first started out. <laughs> mm-hmm. You asked when I first, when this came up. It wasn't day one. Anything you could get, you would take. You'd bring mm-hmm. them in at whatever fee you could get. Now it's more so looking at it from a strategic. What's it costing me mm-hmm. to have that client? What's it costing to do this? And it's you have to basically take a business perspective on it. Well, mm-hmm. it sounds like not only a dollar and a cents perspective, but a HR perspective, exactly. right? Like how right. it's impacting your employees. And it sounds like that decision had a huge impact on the morale of your team. Oh, they were afterwards. ecstatic. Mm-hmm. So, awesome. I mean, and that's we've done that with the acquisitions. That's one thing that does happen. I've done it in two of them where we acquired the company and we're listening to the managers and we're listening to what's going on. And it's like that client should have been let go years ago. So we will, it was a sacrificial lamb and said, Mm -hmm. all right, this one we're letting go because of liability or whatever the case. And that builds a lot of trust from the management or the managers and respect from them Mm -hmm. of, wow, they really have my back. Mm -hmm. So. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So what's next for you? (laughs) Yeah. You're gonna keep moving in a week. In, it's in a, it's a Aruba with my daughter. Let's go. <laughs> let's just stick in the near future. Near future. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I the one thing I am doing is planning an extra exit strategy. Is there a time okay. frame? No, but I think that the one thing I've learned over many years of many many mentors, I'm very fortunate that I've made great um, friendships and just connections with people throughout the country, throughout the industry is that the majority of people don't figure out what the end game is mm-hmm. until it's the end, and at that point, it's too late. So, mm-hmm. yes, I'm working on structuring the company differently or better um, with no end in sight. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going anywhere. I still have a bunch of kids in college and school and everything else, <laughs> so I really can't afford to do anything. But, it, you know, it's – I think it's more strategic growth would mm-hmm. be what I'm mm-hmm. kind of looking for. I think it's kind of developing the company differently. I do believe there's a huge – opportunity to provide our services in a different way mm-hmm. that will love to use the word revolutionize how property management it's been done the same way for 40 50 years it's like i talked to somebody um who'd retired he's like yeah you still do the same things we did mm-hmm. but the market's changed the technology's changed everything has changed so we're looking at it more of a financial modeling for our communities really taking it to a higher level so I think that's probably the what's next for Briggs would be really looking at how we can offer more higher level services to our clients to max, truly maximize their investment. Where right now it's we're all doing the same thing and it really doesn't have a long range picture in mind. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at and developing that process and I'm excited to see how that evolves over time. That's really interesting. So at Vanica, we've always kind of had that mentality of let's not be afraid to change the industry. What are some things that you'd like to see changed about the industry? Besides management fees are too low? <laughs> <laughs> let's start there. I mean, we're, we're, we're now evaluating our management fees mm-hmm. based on the percentage of budget. Okay. And it's mm-hmm. eye-opening when you look and you're like, gee, your income, our fee is 2% of your budget. Whereas wow. your landscaper, your snow removal, mm-hmm. your lawyer, your CPA, everybody else is much higher percentage. And who's bringing the most value and doing the most work? Mm-hmm. And that's that, right. so that's kind of where showing that data to the clients and really kind of trying to have them understand it. 
I think the change has to be in the long-range planning for capital work. I mm -hmm. think it's in building yeah. the asset and really being able to show a roadmap of where are we going with this property. Mm -hmm. So when a, a, a new owner is coming in, they can see, oh, here is the plan. Um, reserve studies, and I can't believe I'm going to put this on out, out in the airwaves. <laughs> um, reserve studies up until now have just been paper. They yeah. show up, everybody looks at them, and frankly, they end up, they're, they're the most expensive paperweight you can get right now. Mm -hmm. um, and we're looking at technology to bring that reserve study to the next level, tying that into um, financial modeling into the future, tying mm -hmm. that into project management, which all ties in, and really bringing a lot of different pieces to the puzzle where it's more of financial management, mm -hmm. you know, taking care of the asset and everything else. But really, what does that mean to the client? Right now, it's just, oh, yeah, the roof leaks. Mm -hmm. So you jump on replacing the roof. Right. But if you have a plan and you can show and guide the client through how that plan is going to work, I think that to, I hope that that becomes the wave of the future, a different type of setup. The manager can't be everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think taking the management and really changing the structure is going to be intriguing. I'm not going to share too much because I want to <laughs> no, give it all away. We, we won't give away. And it's still a work. Secrets. It's still a work in progress. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's kind of having a risk management department. It's mm -hmm. having a f uh, project management department, not having the manager do all these things. Mm -hmm. So. That's the next phase. We're That's excited to see where stuff. that goes. For yeah. sure. Come on. <laughs> Let's you know how it works. Yeah. So it's just taking it to a different level. I mean, I always used to think like, we need licensing in our market. We need licensing. And actually, when I was our CAI chapter president, it was I debated making that my initiative. And I realized we don't need licensing. Licensing is not going to make us a professional organization. Make, we need to become a professional in our services and what mm -hmm. we offer in order to be considered more professional. Mm. So licensing could actually be restrictive, yeah. you know, in some ways. So it's, my focus is really not worrying about everybody else, but trying to offer a package in our industry that's different and better. That's right. Awesome. That's what I'm looking at. <laughs> well, thanks that's, for sharing with us today, Scott. Hey, no worries. Yeah, thank you so much for being so, just an awesome partner and happy to be in Wilmington and hanging out with us for a little uh, while. It's been yeah. enjoyable. I look forward to doing it again soon. <laughs> so, Sounds great. Let me know the next time you take the beach run. I'll go out there and join you this time. Yeah. At least somebody will. I'll know that I'll be able to keep up with you, but we'll try. Well, I can <laughs> run into the uh, the horror story people out on the trail. From Lab. Yeah. Did you hear that story? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just. Yeah. T tell stuff. us about your scream friends. I want to. Oh, my. So I got here. I arrived, what, Monday, Sunday afternoon, decided, oh, my God, the weather is so beautiful. I'm going for a run because I can't do this in Boston right now. It's too cold. Mm -hmm. I go for a run. I'm about almost a mile into it. And coming towards me on this abandoned path, just alone, nobody around, or two people from Scream. <laughs> Literally, masks, full get-up, red painted <laughs> hands, the whole thing. And I'm thinking, I can either turn around and run scared, or I can keep going. And I chose, let's keep going. So I run. They stand to the side. They wave as I go by. I'm like, how you doing? <laughs> keep going. And then as I'm coming back, they're coming back. And I'm thinking, do I get past them this time? Or is this the time they come after me? <laughs> so thankfully, the Scream characters in Williams, uh, Wilmington didn't attack me. But yeah, yeah, it was pretty freaky. Have your, uh, have your kids texted you to tell you that they saw you on TikTok yet? No, okay. yeah, but I'm wondering <laughs> if I'm going to end up there. You never know. We'll, we'll see it. They didn't have their phones out, so it wasn't right. being filmed. So interesting, but this Very has been a blast. Oh, this has yeah, been great. Really Thank has. you so much. I've been doing it anytime.
Yeah, thanks so much, Scott.